on my mom's side, there was a man that I called Grandpa John, on my mom's side of the family. He married my mom's mother, my grandmother, and he was the epitome of a self-made man. I've told stories about Grandpa John before. When he was my age, the age I am now, he was an executive with Encyclopedia Britannica in London. Ask my mom sometimes about the voyage they took with all their steamer trunks on the Queen Mary to go live outside of London and have that lifestyle. Ask her sometime. Okay, during, he was... Uh, like I said, a self-made man, but during the time that I knew him, he was the president and founder of a promotional marketing company in Las Vegas, Nevada, and he was simply known as Big Bad John. Uh, Big Bad John. There was a picture that an artist had drawn of him, and on top of the picture, this hung in the bar room, Big Bad John. Grandpa John rewarded performance. You hit the ball, you get rewarded. And there, he had a ton of pithy little life sayings. He would have loved the book of Proverbs if he had ever read it. Because he, he saw himself as Solomon, extolling wisdom, incline unto my ear, O son, hear words of life. He had these pithy little sayings. And he, one, of the, one of the ones I heard all the time, if you don't work, you don't eat. One summer, my little brother Brent did not complete his chores. We were out in Las Vegas. We sit down at the dinner table. It's steak. It's all this amazing stuff. Brent's plate, empty. And John looks at him and says, Brent, you didn't do. What, what's your problem? Listen, you don't work. You don't eat. Now, there was a, I admit, Brent could have used a better big brother. I kind of... You know, I had to do a lot of repenting when I hit adulthood of the ways in which I abused my little brother, okay? In that moment, I so wanted to stand up for him. I so wanted to go, Grandpa John, give him some food, please, but I couldn't make my, you know, you want to know why? Grandpa John scared the living crap out of me. He did. He was this scary guy. And so Brent went hungry that night, <laughs> okay? In Grandpa John's world, you leverage your talent, you hit the ball, you make a lot of money. And if you do those things, you're accepted and you're rewarded. If you waste your talent, if you make mistakes, if you need money from him, you're shunned and you're punished. And that's just how it worked. On his, on his, at his death, he was a millionaire. He had three kids from a previous marriage each of whom he felt in his mind were failures in life. And so he gave each of them just a paltry $1,000 at his death. And there was many boo-hooing, and it wasn't just the $1,000, it was the message that went along with it. You failed. My grandpa John, come on, personifies the way our world works, doesn't he? Come on. He personifies the way things work in America. There are groups all across our country. You have to be certain things. You have to do certain things. And if you hit the ball, you are rewarded. Ath athletes, come on. You don't want to be warming the bench. You want to be the star player. If you're the star player and you're scoring the points and you're the one that everybody looks to, life is good. 
You don't want to be the kid whose dad, right, is on the end, end zone constantly doing, come on, you can do better than that, you know. Oh, <laughs> it's a lot of internal angst and counseling later on in life. Come on, <laughs> right? And let's be honest, right? Some of you here in this room today, you did great. You hit the ball and you were rewarded. And some of you, some of you struggled and you didn't hit the ball and you were punished. And this performance thing weaves its way everywhere. And at the risk of being sexist, allow me to just kind of rat out some of my women friends for a moment. You ever go to PAA or the doctor's office and take your kid and then you see her? The lady who's tall and thin and has got cute little capris and she has three girls and their hair is perfectly braided and you think to yourself, my God, that took like 45 minutes a kid to do that. Part of you is envious. Oh, I wish I could be that. I wish I could do that. And then part of you is like, I hate her. <laughs> right? Performance. It's everywhere. Hit the ball, get rewarded. Do what's required, get rewarded. Hit the ball. Middle school, come on. It works this way. Every little tribe, every little facet has the way it works. And if you hit the ball, if you perform, you're rewarded. Married people, come on. The cute, the couple that's always holding hands. They look longingly at each other's eyes and you, you know they come over for dinner or whatever it is and then they leave and then you turn to your spouse, why can't you do that, right? <laughs> okay, performance. Every religion has this. Judaism, Islam, yes, even Christianity has a religion aspect to it. Uh, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Buddhism, come on, among Buddhist circles, if you don't meditate enough or the right way and you haven't been freed on the inside, the other people that are practicing Buddhism look at you and they go, <laughs> that's an L for loser, okay? If you grow up Latter-day Saints and you're a young man and you don't go on mission, you pay for it, people talk. Oh, you didn't go on mission. <laughs> Cut, slight, C minus, not hitting the ball. There is a doctrine that flies in the face of this thinking. It is the doctrine of grace. The doctrine of grace claims that God does not roll that way, that, that, that performance, hit the ball, get rewarded, is not how it works with God. And it is very, very important for you and me and everyone on this spinning ball to get this. Grace is something that we see in the pages of this book over and over again. Grace claims that God doesn't roll that way. So let me review for a moment. Week one, God created a good world. God created a good world because God is good. And as a good God, as a good father, he created a good world. Adam and Eve, his prized creation, decided we can't trust God. We can't trust that God's really good. And they did the one thing God asked them not to do. And as a result, something terrible happened. Everything became broken. But God did not abandon the broken people in his now broken world. God got involved. We see it when he clothes Adam and Eve. He's going through the garden. They're hiding because they know they're naked and they've done the thing they shouldn't do. He clothes them. He approaches this man, Abraham, when Abraham's about 70 in Ur and says, 
I want you to go to this place and I'm going to do something. And then when Abram's 90, 99 years old, God makes a promise. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. And Abram tries, doesn't he? He tries to do the do thing, the perform thing. He has sex with a slave girl. He tries all these ways to make it happen. But at the end of the day, did Abraham do anything to make that promise come to pass? No, God did it. God did it 100%. Abraham brought zero, nothing. Last week, we turned to the pages of the New Testament and we saw that God would send his son. And when his son came, his son came with one purpose, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, and they'll put it up there. Jesus said this, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, announcing the good news. We talked about this over Christmas, remember? The good news, the gospel. So let me review for a minute. What is this good news? Romans 3.23. Let me remind you of some parts of the Roman road. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is just a statement of reality. The world is a broken place. We are broken people. And it's not the temptation that we face in the West as we do the comparison game. We look at our neighbor who beats his wife, who can't hold down a job, and we say, I'm not that bad, unless you're him, in which case you're looking for a drug dealer, right, to go, well, I'm not that bad. And then you're the drug dealer, and you're going, well, I haven't killed 10 people. <laughs> okay, see the sliding scale? <laughs> okay, but God doesn't work that way. There's no sliding scale with God. What's the, what's the measuring stick? God's glorious standard, God's level of goodness. Come on, not even the Dalai Lama is there. Not even Mother Teresa is there. No one's there. We all fall short. Romans 5.8, but, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The cross is not some kind of tragic end to a good man's life. The cross is a turning point in human history, and it's a turning point in our lives for those of us who receive God's grace. When we were at our worst, Jesus gave his best. When we had nothing to give, he gave everything. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What we deserve because we're broken and we choose to meet legitimate needs through illegitimate, illegitimate ways and because we want to do it our way and we want to flout God and flout God's way, what we deserve is the death and brokenness and everything else that comes with it. But the gift of God is eternal life. Paul fleshes this out in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Uh, this is a pivotal verse for, for Christians for centuries. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us, none of us can boast. Here's what I know. Grace is better experienced than explained. 
So if you would, allow me to back the truck up for a minute and recover some things that we've been talking about in this one big story, all right? In Ur, God shows up in Abraham's life. God makes a promise. God does what only God can do. And God blesses all of the nations of the world through Abraham. But in doing that, God took a second step and in a few chapters after what we looked at, God made what's called a blood covenant with Abraham. Ancient Near Eastern cultures practiced it. And if you'll put my picture up, a blood covenant was very simple, kind of gruesome, but very simple. You'd take several animals and you would cut them in half from the top all the way down the middle to the bottom. You'd rip them open. You'd put one half on one side, the other half on the other side. You'd do this to several animals. The animals would be placed on a slope that would go down to a little bit of a, of a gully or a trench. Now, you being astute, some of you college-educated people, understanding how gravity works, what happens to the blood and guts of these animals? It flows down into the trench. And the two people making this blood covenant, which is permanent, binding, cannot be altered, would then walk through the trench, getting feet and their feet all filled with blood and guts and everything else. And when they got to the other side of the trench, you know, from the knees down, they've got splattered blood and guts. And what they're saying is, may what's happened to these animals happen to me if I don't fulfill my end of this blood covenant. Interestingly, only one person in this case walked through the trench. Only one person. Do you know who it was? God. God walked through the trench. In essence, God was saying to Abraham, <laughs> buddy, I know that this is like this deal you can't keep this. There's no way you can keep this. But if I don't fulfill what I've promised, may what's happened to these animals happen to me. Okay? Fast forward a few, couple of thousand years, and you get to Jesus, God's son. He's taught, he's ministered, he, he's healed. And people are following him everywhere until one night one of his own followers rats him out to the people that wanted him dead. Judas betrays him, okay? So he's betrayed, he's arrested, false charges are brought, he's taken, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's whipped. He's made to carry a crossbeam to a place outside of Jerusalem where they're gonna crucify him. They strip him, they nail him to a cross, and there for six hours in torment and pain, he hangs. And at the end of it all, he utters three words. It is finished. It is finished. Done. Paid for. In full. Forever. The cross is a turning point in human history. It's a turning point in anyone's life who responds to grace. Remember what I just said about Abraham make, and God making the blood covenant with him? In literary circles, this is called irony. 
Who's the one person between Abraham and God who kept their end of the deal? Who kept their end of the deal? Who kept their end of the deal? God, God kept his end of the deal. God kept his promises. Abraham and all his descendants continually lived out brokenness, chose their own ways, made mistakes, had oops. What was I thinking moments? God kept his end of the deal, and then God shows up in the flesh, on the scene, in the form of his son, lives a perfect life, obeys the law perfectly, keeps it perfectly. And who ends up on a cross bleeding blood down? The one person who kept his end of the deal. In literary circles, it's called irony. But what a beautiful irony it is. In a word... It's grace. It's grace. Grace isn't something that just appeared suddenly in the New Testament. We see grace going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we see it play out in their lives. We see it play out in Abraham's life. What a dysfunctional father and grandfather he was. We see it play out in Jacob and the dysfunctionality of his family with Joseph and how Joseph was sold out by his brothers, and we see it play out in David's life. I mean, I could go on and on. Every single person, and yet grace, 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 Grace isn't something that's new. Grace is old. Grace is the way God rolls. With religion, it's all about one word, do, do. Religion is about what you do for God. Better go to church, better read your Bible, better do these things. If you do all of these things, if you perform, if you hit the ball, boom, God will reward you. Good job. Religion kills. If I were to have bumper stickers on my car, that's one of the bumper stickers I would have on my car. And I'm a pastor. Religion kills. Even the Christian version of religion kills. But salvation, the gospel, that's spelled differently. It's spelled done. Done. It's what God has done for us. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you've got to clean up your act first in order for God to accept you? I hope not. I hope not. Everything we see in this book from cover to cover says otherwise. It's what God has done. This is good news. The cross is enough. Jesus and what he did is enough. It's enough for your sins. It's enough for everything in your life that you lack. It is enough for everything that you've searched and longed for. It is enough. I always worried my whole life what my standing was with Grandpa John. There was a moment when I switched my major from music to Bible in college, and boy, was he mad. Oh, my goodness, he was mad. I remember that shouting fest. What do you want to do, Mark? What are you, an idiot? You got this score on the SAT. You got these good grades. You could do anything, and you're going to throw your life away by being a pastor? For 30-some years, I've not had to fret one moment about my standing with God. What Jesus did for me is enough. I want that for you. 
I want you to never to have to sweat, never to have to worry, never to have to barter. Oh God, if you'll just, I'll pray every day for, you know, you don't have to do any of those things. It's nothing that you earn. It's nothing that you do. What Jesus did is enough. And I want you to have that confidence. And it's simply a decision to receive and to let it be settled. It's a stance. I don't have to sweat this stuff with God. Jesus did it. It's enough. Can I pray for you and pray for me? God, the gospel is good news. It is such good news. Religion is awful. Who wants to do that? You gotta make all these rules and do all this stuff and hit the ball and hit the ball and hit the ball and then never hitting the ball in all the right ways. And then people come up with more rules. Oh, well, you didn't know about these rules. <laughs> the gospel is so much better. God, the way you work is so much better. Who you are is so, so much more good than we, have, we tend to give you credit for. You are a good father. Help us to have faith today, to trust that what Jesus did is enough. I pray these things in his name, amen, amen.